Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Margaret Barrow, who is the founder and CEO of It's NOLA, formerly Brooklyn Granola, which is a Black women-owned vegan snack company in Brooklyn, New York. Margaret is also a tenured associate professor at Borough of Manhattan Community College, a published author and keynote speaker, and a graduate of Columbia University. I could go on and on about Margaret, who has an incredible list of credentials and accomplishments and is such a phenomenal human. We have so much to talk about, so let's dive right into this, Margaret, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. So Margaret, before we jump into your professional journey, can you share with the listeners a bit about your personal journey, where you grew up, your personal interests, and how some of these interests may have contributed to your professional journey? Yes, thank you. That's a great question. Um, And we only have 30 minutes. I know. (laughs) That's the first question. (laughs) All right, so let's see. Um, uh, It started off, let's say, um, I was a foster child at five years old. And that resulted in me growing up with a big family. And one of the more positive things in that family, I have to say, is eating together. Mm, yeah. you know, that was joyful. Right. Uh, we laughed a lot well, to fantastic. me. And I, like, I carry that with me. Yeah. It's such an important part of my history growing up in foster care because it wasn't a great experience. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but at the same time there, I always think back and I always think, you know, life wasn't so terrible. I know that when I was younger, it felt terrible. As an adult looking back, I think to myself, okay, where are those nuggets of richness that still resonate with me, that still live with inside me, that are part of who I've become? Like, what did I take from that experience? One of the things I have to say is growing up with a foster mom who loved to travel. Oh, nice, okay. Loved to travel. And although we had at times 19 people with us in one Winnebago, um, joyful, you know, those are joyful moments. And so I have a love for that. And I have a love for cooking. She really allowed me to go into the, into the kitchen and kind of do what I wanted. I was usually burning things, but (laughs) (laughs) it ended up that my, my, I guess one of the things that I was really good at was making pastries. I was good at baking. Yeah. And I never ate it. I cooked it, but I never ate it. My, it, was all, it was always strange. My, my, my foster mom was like, what, what's wrong with you? And I said to her, I don't like it. It has a lot of sugar in it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, so um, so th- those are some really good things you know, that I bring forward into my life. And also helping other people. That was something that she was very fond of doing because we would go to different cities because we'd travel every summer. And she would take loads of canned food. Now, today we know that that's probably not the thing you want to do because it's not really healthy. However, um, canned foods are good to donate. So we would fill up the cabinets of this Winnebago. We would drive across the United States and she would always find an orphanage. And she would say to us, okay, now I want you to take all the food out 
and bring it into the orphanage. And I remember just being so upset as a child. Like I was a skin, I was as thin as a rake, hungry all the time. And I was like, we're giving away food. Like it was a, you know, but I did, I understood it later how important that was, you know, the, to be a steward in, in the world means to care for others. And I think that I also, that's, that's a part of who I am. That's why I went into teaching. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, it sounds like you grabbed a lot of pearls, a lot of wisdom when you did that glance back. A lot of times people say, don't look back because we might get stuck in that history, but actually it's great to take that glance back so that we can bring forward the wisdom that we've gained from those different events and unique challenges and successes that we've had throughout our lives, which gets me to my next question. You had some unique challenges in your life because you were in foster care. You had to confront different things that other people didn't and yet still had this sense of resiliency. And I always consider resiliency something that is learned and innate. What are your thoughts? I was working with my brother on a, he's, he's, um, he's also a teacher mm-hmm. in California and he works with very young children. And he was working on a paper and I was reading through it, the development of resiliency. And one of the things that stood out to me, the psychologist who had written this book was the idea that resiliency has a lot to do with the adults around you, mm-hmm. finding those adults, connecting to those adults that are going to build you up. I was very fortunate to have a brother who loved me unconditionally mm. and who kind of raised my spirit every day. Yeah. And I also had um, his teachers who fell in love with us. And to this day, and we're talking about 50 years, we have known these two teachers. They're retired now, but they're still in his life. He still calls her mom and dad. You know, it's so beautiful. I still speak with them. They were the first people that made me understand what it meant to love myself. It's incredible how people can touch our lives, right? Yes, it certainly is. (laughs) Absolutely. Especially when you touch back into those emotions that it really arouses in regards to what you had, what you felt you didn't have, and then that connection that was made with people who cared about you. Mm Mm-hmm. So true, so true. So I feel like that resiliency started with them. Yeah. You know, and it was so interesting because they would say things like, you can look at the people around you and you can decide to be like them or you can decide to be like you. Mm. I was a kid and I didn't really understand that, but I got a sense of it, you know, I got a sense of it. And they were judging, you know, what it didn't come from a place of judgment. What they were saying is that you have choices that even though all the people around you, like my foster mother would put us down, mm. horrible things about us, but they would come back at it, you know? We had a counter narrative. Right. Not every person has a counter narrative, you know? I feel like that was so important to the journey and the decisions that I made in my life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think you mentioned two really great things, well, many great things actually here. I also think that we have innate resiliency. So there's something that's within us that just naturally we can bounce back, Mm -hmm. we can come Mm -hmm. back and we can thrive. Mm -hmm. I think those narratives are super important as well. Um, And I think choice, the choices we make, right? So I think choice is a superpower. 
-hmm. And I think that a lot of times we use it to our benefit or we give it away and we give it away so easily and don't even realize that power that is in choice. Right. And then, as you said, that counter narrative uh, from what you were hearing daily. And I think this is why you were brought to tears for a moment. Right. Because that counter narrative was so different from what you were, what was being said every day to you that it was just so touching and it allowed you to grow in a non-judgmental environment. And so that is just so beautiful. So thank you for sharing that, that moment with me and with the listeners. I really appreciate that. Um, And being so vulnerable. Yeah. (laughs) So I I, I mean, I get it. I get it. We have these moments and these people that come into our lives and it's just like, wow, you don't realize until later, maybe when you kind of can grasp the intensity of what they did just by modeling, just by being there and by being who they are and accepting us. Yeah, I think that sometimes speaking it really emphasizes the, the power of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. So for me, that it becomes very emotional. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you consider your biggest roadblock and your biggest success, Margaret? Wow, those are really good questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my biggest roadblock is probably me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably me. I overthink everything. I overthink and then sometimes I and overthinking I some I am very slow to to make a decision. Gotcha. Um, and it doesn't mean that I always think to myself it's not about losing an opportunity. It's about feeling feeling that I have made the right decision at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, so when things pass me by, I, I don't regret it. You know, there's I I, I cannot live with regrets. It just doesn't, number one, it manifests into, you know, sickness, illness of some, of some type. And so I feel like the universe has given me this opportunity to think about it. Yeah. So it's not just about the opportunity, but really understanding, can I step into this opportunity today or must I rest here for a moment? Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So I feel like sometimes that is my (laughs) I am my biggest uh, roadblock and I'm learning to get out of my way at the same time. Yeah. We have to be our own positive disruptors, right? And so it's like, get out of the way. And it's it's like that fear that, you know, whatever is blocking us. And I think that's many times for most people, we are our biggest roadblock. Yeah. I have this thing that I I recognized about myself when I was um, at Columbia University, that when something was really difficult, like here I was studying feminist post-structuralism. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> you know, so I'm studying these theories and I'm reading through this material. I'm like, what the, what is this? Like, really, what is this? And then I, I remember one day thinking to myself, listen, you're smart. You can think, slow it down, stop trying to do it overnight. And I remember sitting down and feeling so comfortable with myself. And that's when I began to understand it and also understand that I was not going to use that theory in my dissertation because it wasn't practical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. And you shared that with the listeners and with me, because a lot of times we don't slow down. We don't sit in silence Mm -hmm. and we fear the unknown or what we think is expected of us in regards to what we should think. Mm-hmm. how we've been conditioned. Mm-hmm. And yet you had that moment of clarity where 
it was okay to be you sitting in that silence, doing some reflection and seeing how you were going to embrace this material, embrace the subject matter and do it on your terms and curate it the way you wanted your journey to be curated. Exactly. Which is so valuable because a lot of times when we're that young, we don't, we just keep going and going and going and don't sit there and go, Ooh, okay. Like for me, for instance, I was an English major and I swear Shakespeare was always like, Oh, how can I wrap my head around this? Right. How can I really take this in and digest it? So it's meaningful and in a way that I understand it. And I still, to this day, I do the comedies. That is the best that I can do with Shakespeare. <laughs> so those are valuable. Those, they're, they're, they're so valuable. <laughs> they are. And that's just what resonated with me. So I was able to, like you, grab something from it and do it on my terms and say, this is what I want to tap into. This is what I understand. So I I got it in that way. But thank you for sharing that. So my next question, from talking to you in the past, I know you feel strongly about mentorship, as as do I. Can you talk about why this is so important to you and how this supports community? Okay, yes. Now, mentoring is something like I was explaining to you earlier. I didn't know that's what it was called, by the way, when I was a kid. Again, it's always looking back, you realize it on reflection, suddenly something has a name, you know? Yeah. So um, it really became something that was important to me when I started tutoring. I started tutoring first. I was in school and college and I got a call from a friend who wanted me to tutor. and And I said, Oh, I, okay. You know, I did it when I was a kid with people, with some, some kids who needed math tutoring. Um, I had a good math brain back then. Um, (laughs) um, But when I decided that I was going to go into tutoring, it became apparent to me that I was tutoring in New York city, a lot of underprivileged students. Mm. And as I began to listen to their stories, I saw myself in them. And so when I decided to go to Columbia University and I began looking, you know, trying to really understand the history of underprivileged students in education. And in that respect, I realized that mentoring would provide the students with a greater opportunity and enrichment towards success. And I say that because on my journey, I met so many amazing women and most of them I have to say were women who mentored me and that could be because I was more receptive to Mm -hmm. women I'm not saying that there weren't any men in my life who I had great respect for or who I didn't want as a mentor but it was the women who seemed to be more interested Mm -hmm. Um, I had an eighth grade teacher who actually mentored me and taught me guitar oh yeah, just kind of going back. He taught me guitar. Oh. He would go all the way out to our house. We lived 30 minutes away. Wow. And he was like, you've got something here. Like you're, and so he was, the, I would say that he's the one male person that, no, and Mr. Whiting, sorry. My sixth grade teacher. <laughs> English, my English teachers were just amazing. Every single one of them. <laughs> you know, so I did have some male mentors when I was younger. But as I got older, um, I think because of my life experience, I, I trusted women more. Right. With my vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Because in order to mentor and be mentored, you have to be vulnerable. Yes. 
you know, for it to work. So the students that I was coming across were students from all over the world at the college. And many of them felt, uh, I think, attracted to my kindness and to my, and to my authenticity. You know, I tell the students like it is, they have, sometimes they don't want to hear it, but I tell yeah. them, no, you're failing. You know, right. <laughs> there are things that you can do, accept failure because failure is a part of life. Yes. Does it mean yeah. that you're a terrible person or, you know, don't take it like that. Mm-hmm. So in my interest in mentoring, I also understood that it meant I was opening myself up to continuing to grow as a human being. Yeah. And to me, that was important because there has to be reciprocity. Oh, yeah. In these relationships when you mentor and mentee and they're the hardest relationships. They can be they can be the, some of the most challenging relationships, especially moving into a business together. You know, that's where I, I have been tested like nobody has been tested. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. And I believe I, I really believe that mentoring really provides, especially for students who are underprivileged, you know, giving students the opportunity to work with successful people, mm. to work with people who are outside their families, yeah. who are not judging them. Yes. Is there some level of judgment, but it's not the kind of judgment that's going to lead to not being a part of your life you know it's it's really trying to we both have the same goal which is your success and that success can mean so many different things yeah I'm so attracted to the whole mentoring relationship and not just that but also supporting if you've been mentored then I support that you mentor yes so absolutely It's like, oh, it's like a chain, you know, it's like you're a link in the chain. Absolutely. I fully agree. I, I love mentoring and my mentees and learning from them. And I, I fully also agree with having our missteps. Oh, yeah. Our missteps are, or failures or whatever you want to call them are some of the opportunities where we learn the most. Our successes are easier. Mm. And I'm not saying leading up to that was our successes. Many times we can, we have many of them, right? And so yet our, our missteps or our failures are really hard to digest. But once you learn that nothing is ever a complete failure, it's learned, it's gained wisdom. Mm -hmm. You can take away and apply that information to the next step and to the next step. So many times those missteps are so important in our lives. Mm-hmm. So when I see these, these snowplow parents, helicopter parents, it's like, stop rescuing, <laughs> right, stop right. rescuing all the time because we need to learn how to make it through those missteps or those, those decisions we make that aren't maybe the best decisions. I can understand parents wanting to rescue to a degree, right? But then it's like, but then it's like, okay, we've got to all make these and we're not always going to win. We're not always going to get the trophy. We're not always going to. So I agree. And, and mentorship is, is difficult, but so rewarding. Mm-hmm. It can be so rewarding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you have done so much professor, author, speaker, mentor, and business owner. Let's talk about your business, It's Nola. When did you assume ownership of the company? How did you establish your own brand? What is the mission of the company? I know this is a lot. And what does your strategy as a business owner look like? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm still strategizing. (laughs) (laughs) It it is a growth process (laughs) for us all. 
I actually consider myself for the first two years, we've been in business for three, but honestly, the first two years, I kept thinking, I am the reluctant entrepreneur. I don't know if there's ever been a reluctant entrepreneur because it was never my dream. I, I didn't want to do this. Oh, okay. So it wasn't. I never, it wasn't on my radar. I was teaching. I love teaching. I love doing research. I love doing what I was doing. And then, but there's something really important to recognize. And I understood this. So when I was bringing my, my um, snacks to, to the college to share with my students and faculty, yeah. When the students went out and, and did the surveys behind my back to tell me that, that they had proof that I should start a business. And they said to me, Professor, you've always said to us, every argument must have facts. So we went out and got the facts. Nice. <laughs> here's Excellent. the pile of facts. And we want you to read through every single one. All the students left their contact information, comments for you. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, what is wrong with these people? Like, what? Wow. And <laughs> I think it was to me. I you mean, know? What I was like, initiative? <laughs> exactly. But I kept thinking, why are they doing this to me? I'm trying to, my life is fine. <laughs> it's fine. But at the same time, I recognized something important, which was as a mentor, you're often in the seat where you are driving the relationship. Often you are driving that relationship. And you are caring and being cared for is just as important as be as caring, right? Yes. And so at that moment, and many moments before that, but at that moment, I realized there was a different caring for that was directed at me. Yeah. And that there's something that my students saw in me, and maybe they couldn't name it, but there was something in the air, I don't know, but they shifted my foundation. Mm. that moment and I always say looking back I couldn't have been shifted if I wasn't ready yeah right if yeah. I if I was not ready I would have just continued and said okay yeah that's great you know yeah. keep feeding you <laughs> and we're not gonna do this but I was shifted and then when I came home and my my family was like yes they're right you should start a business and that moment kind of changed my trajectory in my life because suddenly I didn't know where I was going and it was terrifying. It really was. I was like, I was spending time doing exactly what I wanted to do. I knew my, what my day was going to look like. I was working with people I trusted and didn't trust. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. You get it all. You know, it's all here, you know, but I knew my environment. And I had established a reputation. I'm a leader at the college. In that moment, I was like, wow, this is changing everything. And so it was a slow, I felt like I was moving in slow motion in the college. Like suddenly everything started to slow down, you know? And I was like, wow, this is interesting. And so I started the business in February. It was February 7, 2018. So I filed for the business. And then by the end of February, I had reached out to a student of mine who was at Rutgers University and invited her to come in with sweat equity. And then a year later, invited another student I was mentoring into uh, uh, the business and gave her sweat equity. Okay. So the mentoring and the business partnership began. 
And that really created some interest, has created some really interesting moments because mentoring while you are a business partner, look, listen, looking backwards, I would say to anyone wanting to mentor while you're doing this, don't do it. <laughs> I, no, seriously, don't yeah. do it. Like hold off. Right. Really hold off, establish your yeah. business first and then offer the mentoring because right. it's, very, very challenging. It's very, very difficult, you know, and there, it's hard to take the hats off. Yeah. Because there is really a power differential there. And I, I don't mean it in like, oh, you've got power or you're assuming power over somebody. But when you're mentoring and teaching, Mm -hmm. you're taking a different role than being a partner. And so that really kind of mixes up or confuses. There's two really distinct relationships there. Yeah. And so to blend that can be extremely hard. I can see what you're saying there. Yes. So it is, it has been challenging. We are working through things and I'm constantly saying, listen, we have to understand that we're growing in this and you may find yourself growing out of it. Mm-hmm. And there's no, it's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You might find along this journey that is my journey. Right. And you, and you've decided you wanted to be a part of that journey on that journey. You may discover that you want to be elsewhere and that's okay. Right. It's okay. But you know, we all, we all deal with this idea of, of disappointment and we don't want to disappoint people mm-hmm. that we love, you know, mm-hmm. who are in our lives. And so that becomes a factor in the relationship that can then make the relationship unhealthy. Yeah. Absolutely. Because of the way that manifests in somebody. Now, if somebody isn't out there and honest and saying, you know what, this is not my vision. This is not my direction that I want to go in, not just with the business. And I don't want to disappoint you, but I've, I've invested so much of myself that I don't want to give this part of it up. Yet it's like, you're going to have to make some hard decisions because you can also be a silent partner. You can be, I mean, there's also different options, but yeah, the person has to be really honest with one oneself. So and my, my hope has always been, you know, bringing the, the mentees on is that by going through this journey together, that they would start their own businesses when they were ready. Right. You know, sometimes we can do things prematurely. We can make decisions just too early in our lives and we're not ready for those things, you know? Um, but we have to take time out to really understand why we're making the choices that we're making. And because there's a difference between wanting something and being ready for something, you know, you want to start a business, but are you really ready to start a business? Yeah. And that's what I I really would, would offer to your audience that it's something that has to be thought about because you can have all the passion in the world, but if you're not ready then you're going to struggle and you're going to do it in a way that is going to be so difficult if you do it alone. Yeah. On that journey, you have to have a network of people, of friends and family and new people, new people who are in the business, you know, who are entrepreneurs, like they're the ones who are going to help hold you up during the times when you're falling backwards with broken legs. Oh, absolutely (laughs) a lot of times it's the people that are closest to us like family that unfortunately because of their own fears project onto you those fears of are you sure 
you're going to make it? Are you sure that this is the direction? Are you sure? And some of that is that questioning is insightful, but a lot of times that is that is brought on by their own internal fears and struggles and courage of I'm okay doing what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. I'm a little fearful for you, you know? And so, because yeah. to be an entrepreneur is probably one of the hardest jobs you could have. I, I work for nonprofit, for-profit, and I'm an entrepreneur. And I can tell you, everything that you assume as an entrepreneur is on you. Every yeah. piece of work that goes out is on you. Production, yeah. marketing, it is. direct service, all of it is on you. So I have learned skills I never thought I would learn. Right. <laughs> I never wanted to learn. I'm just <laughs> Right. And so as you were saying, that network that you build up around you is so critical because that network of entrepreneurs is so critical because that information that strategy might be something that will work in with your process that inspiration that you know like you said that that strength that wisdom that holds you up on the days that your legs are broken is so needed and so they get it they get it so let me ask you really quickly what is it's nola and the mission okay it's nola is a plant-based snack company and what I believe that we've done is, you know, if you look back in the 1800s, we saw granola being developed out of a sanatorium, which was not an insane asylum, which some people think it was. No, it was a wellness center. Mm -hmm. And so it was created, it was crumbly, and it it was deemed nutritious, right? And that food was going to sustain you, help you, energize you, make you healthy if you ate it. Mm-hmm. And it did for a lot of people, they felt, you know, that it was working. Yeah. And then the last 1800s, and then we go into the 1960s, 1970s, and we have granola Yeah. and the hippies <laughs> love it. Yes. It was a hippie food. That's why we always use the term. You're so good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> and then in the 1970s, we start looking at, you know, these companies coming out with granola bars. Mm-hmm. And so they took the crumbly stuff, they made the granola bars, and they added all kinds of sugar and things to it, right? Yeah. Made it yeah. unhealthy. Right. For the most part. That's what we started seeing from crumbly, healthy granola to unhealthy granola bars. Right. And then I can't be, when I became, um, when I decided to, to make my product, it was because I was going through menopause. Mm. And I was eating like a crazy lady. Oh, interesting. And I was, it was snacking. It was the snacking. Did you know that, that, that Americans snack four to six times a day? Really? That's a lot. You start That's... counting, right? Now you're going to start counting. Yeah. From now on, you're going to be like, okay, was this? Wow. This? Yes. 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 And it's kind of like an unconscious cultural snacking phenomenon that we have. <laughs> <laughs> And then we do a lot of sitting and snacking and yes. uh-oh, right? Yes, 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 right? And so what I realized was I was, because I loved granola and I loved granola bars. And I began to really look at that. Even as a, as a vegetarian, practically all my life, I was still eating unhealthy things. And so when I started going through menopause, I gained 10 pounds. And I was like, okay, no, I have to do something. This is crazy. I became a vegetarian. I mean, a vegan. I was a vegetarian. I became a vegan. And I was like, I'm making a vegan granola uh, snack that I want to eat. I want to know what's in it. I'm going to choose things because I want to work on my digestion because I have digestive problems. Mm -hmm. So I was really selective about choosing the ingredients. And as I was in the kitchen, it brought me back to when I was a kid. My mom used to let me go into that kitchen. Mm -hmm. And it just made me feel so happy. 
And I started making all these different flavors. And I was like, you know what? I want something I can carry. It's not going to make a mess because the granola bars that I was eating ended up at the bottom of my purse, crumbs everywhere, stuck to um, paper clips, pens. Yes. <laughs> a teacher's handbag. I was like, okay, no, I want something compact. I want to make, I want something that's resealable because I want to eat it when I want to eat it. Yeah. I want to open it and half of it's falling out of the bag. Yeah. So that's what I did. Okay. I created a compact granola ball. And so, and it's so delicious. And every time you mm. chew it, there's more and more of it. So here's what I say. I say that we have reimagined granola for the 21st century. Love it. Oh my gosh. First of all, I love the origin story, the mission, all of that. It just, and how it's compact and the bag that is resealable. That is so important because when you are snacking, you don't want to eat the whole thing. You just want to eat maybe a couple and then get some energy and something from it, have it taste good. And they move forward. Oh, see beautiful bags and they're I love it. I love the marketing. Two servings and it's resealable. But let's say you don't want to carry this bag. You can always buy our minis. You have two balls. So you can Very nice. You know? Yes, that is so perfect. You could do like, if you need, if you know that you're a snacker, you can put a couple of those bags in there. And because I get bored really Mm -hmm. easily, and you can put a couple of different flavors and then zoom and then. What happens too is when you're at the grocery store and you snack before you go into the grocery store and you eat those two little balls, you won't be shopping or trying to grab for unhealthy snacks. Exactly. You know, one of the things that's so funny about, not funny, but it's kind of, most of us know it, but nobody really talks about it. Diets fail in the grocery store. Oh, always. Right? They fail in the grocery store, not outside, in the grocery store, because it's what we bring home that determines how we're going to feel about our bodies. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I have to make a conscious effort while I'm walking through the grocery store, not to look at certain things because Mm -hmm. I don't want to grab those things because that is going to sabotage what I'm trying to do and the health and wellness of my body. Not so much. I like to term it as wellness, right? And so what are you thinking about in regards to your physiological, psychological wellness? Well, it has to do with when you shop a lot of the times yes. Yes. and what you bring home. True. And, and if you want to make it fun, yes. here's a way to make it a lot of fun, right? Okay. Let's so hear you go to the grocery store and you put everything you want, everything you want, right? It goes into the cart. Yeah. And before you go to the cashier, you take everything out. That's not good for you. Oh yeah. Right. It's so I- it's so empowering because it's choice. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I like this. I like this. I like this. And then you take it out. I love okay. myself. I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a great tip. And it feels so empowering. Right. And, yes, and you don't feel like you're neglecting yourself or yeah. what you want. You're yes. actually saying, I don't want this. I don't right. want that. That's right. not great. So I love that tip. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love the mission, the product and the tips that you're giving right now, which leads me to my last question. If you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? One of my words of wisdom would be COVID-19 has taught us something really important and we have to listen, we have to hear it. And that is, we need to care for each other 
And we need to care about ourselves a lot more than we have been. And that means trying your best to take care of this body that you have. Because by taking care of your body, you're also taking care of your mind. And surround yourself with people who feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Create a community of people who are going to nurture that body and mind. It's so important. What incredible words of wisdom. Thank you, Margaret, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed myself. If you would like to connect with Margaret Barrow, you can find her at www.itsnola.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at It's Nola Snacks. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great. Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.